Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Right, hello, welcome to Critical Witness. Uh, We should be live. Um, and hopefully I'll have a small echo in a moment just to let me know that it's coming through. There we go. So um, welcome. We've got uh, Nay Dawson with us from a whole load of different organizations, which we're going <laughs> to talk about in a moment. Um, if you haven't been on Critical Witness before, we generally just have a conversation and see where it goes. Um, we're probably going to be talking about evangelism, women in evangelism, as well as uh, student ministries tonight, because that's uh, Nay's cup of tea. Um, but also there's a whole bunch of different things that we'll, we might find ourselves discussing. We're a little bit late to the um, stream just because we kept talking about vaccines and things behind the scenes. But we'll try and keep to the topic uh, at hand as best as we can. If you like what you see, just uh, feel free to subscribe and like the video. I don't usually say this, but it does help get other people into the conversation. Um, um, Yeah, get involved. Ask us questions as we go, and uh, I'll stop talking, and I'll introduce Nay, and Dan's here as well, but he's muted at the moment. Um, Nay, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Why are you a Christian, or how are you you a Christian? Maybe the story first, and then uh, we'll... We'll go from there, really. So, hello, welcome. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Dan, for inviting me on tonight. So, um, I'm a Christian because my mum and dad introduced me to Jesus when I was young. Um, but by the time I got to nine, uh, my dad had left our family and left the church. And so, it wasn't a typical Christian upbringing in any sense at all. And I just completely owe my um, faith to the Christians around me in a lovely little church called Killington Baptist Church. They loved us so dearly as a family. Um, so as a teenager, um, I was the only Christian in my school and I was really enthusiastic about Jesus. I used to run assemblies on my own, used to run a Christian union, but it was pretty lonely being the only Christian. So I guess once I got to university, uh, it was there that I really met Christians of my own age, um, similar mindset. And I just really thrived as a Christian at university. So definitely became a Christian, knew Jesus as my saviour as a seven-year-old. Um, but that grew and changed over time. Um, yeah, so that's me. Nice one. Um, cool. And so now you're working with IFES, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And is, is that your full-time job? or? Because you, you seem to be in a lot of different <laughs> things at the moment. Um, because... Yeah, so I work 30 hours a week for IFES. And within that, I've got an initiative called Passion for Evangelism that I've set up. Um, so, yeah, that's my only job. I do do lots of other stuff for fun. But, yeah, I, we work with Christian unions across Europe. I'm their regional training coordinator. And I've got two main projects that I've set up. One is raising up female public evangelists. And the other one is training and equipping students and staff to 
introduce their friends to Jesus through the Gospels. So those are my two two main projects. Cool. Uh, so what what got you into IFES? I'm just interested in, in that regard. Do you have much of an international background or just you like students because that's where you kind of found your, your faith? Um, what, yeah. what took you there? Well, so after uni, I graduated. I did a volunteer year with UCCF, University Colleges Christian Fellowship. And I just absolutely loved the opportunity there was within the student world to make friends and to tell people about Jesus. And at university, I saw really good friends, my housemates become Christians. I saw their fiancés become Christians. And since then, they've led loads of people to faith. So really, I just knew from about 21 that I wanted to commit my life to working with students. So I worked with UCCF for about 16 years and then it was time to move on. And um, my husband and I had been involved in the Uncover series with writing Uncover Mark. And there was this opportunity to work across Europe, trying to get loads of students and staff excited about Seeker Bible Studies. So really, um, I just took that opportunity. John and I had wanted to move abroad, but for different reasons, it didn't work. I'm really grateful now we are where we are. Um, but I love the fact I can work for IFES and still live in Southampton. Nice one. Dan, feel free to jump in whenever. I've noticed yeah. that we're wearing the same hoodies tonight. Yeah, I've, a bit I've, unfortunate. I've, I've unzipped mine to reveal my football <laughs> cup underneath now, so to distinguish us. Um, we, need, we need to work on the memos here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was just wondering, so given, given your kind of vast experience on, on UK um, universities, what, like, what's Christianity like on, on, on campuses? I, I always seem to think it's slightly, um, it always looks more positive on a campus at the uni university compared to outside of the university context. Do you think, would that be the, the case? And, and maybe what, what it's like in Europe as well, um, Christianity, how, how's, it, how's it doing? <laughs> that, that is a ridiculously big question. I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we just talk about vaccines? That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's about the same size of question, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry. Um, I mean, generally, I'm always positive, like my friend Phil up there. Um, or was it Dan that was positive? I can't remember. Um, Phil. Oh, Phil, yeah, great. Me. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm just always encouraged by the student world. I just think students are amazing and what I've seen across the world, particularly in the pandemic, just responding and adapting to what's going on, um, putting events online really quickly, trying to disciple people, reach out to people in a pandemic, whilst A-levels are cancelled and everything's changed. I just think students are incredible. Picture of Christianity, I've no idea, that's just too big a question. <laughs> but um, can I just say that the spirit is not in chains, and the mm. spirit does not depend upon material conditions. So, yes, uh, church doors physically might have been closed, but the church is alive and kicking. And Christian unions are doing an incredible job across Europe, even in some really tricky situations. So um, some of my friends in Bosnia, Herzegovina, the universities haven't even opened yet because they just don't know how to accommodate their students safely. So their term's been delayed and delayed and delayed, but... Christian students are still getting out there and loving their friends and speaking about Jesus. So I'm positive, but <laughs> that's just me. And that probably speaks into why you're involved in so many different things. So I, one, one thing that I noticed just kind of come out in, in regard to Halloween, 
was just another <laughs> thing that popped up was this this houses of of light so is that do you think your positivity is why or are you just a naturally creative person in in these things you just sort of seem to come up with an idea and let let's you're able to launch it which i think is quite it's one thing to have the idea it's quite another to be mm. able to launch it and have people take that on board and, and, and run with it themselves so did you for for example the houses of light did you get much feedback on that did, did that work yeah so i mean one of my friends abigail says that i have so many ideas it just makes her feel sick i love her i struggle a bit I, I mean i have loads of ideas ideation and woo are my top like strengths finders so i love having ideas i can't go on too many bike rides because i just come back with too many ideas and then i just love making them happen so the houses of light i mean it's quite incredible really at the start of term i just prayed god how can i share my faith with my friends i'm not traveling for work i'm around a southampton i'll go crazy and I felt God say to me, nay, where do you think you shouldn't be? And I knew the answer was Halloween. Our area love Halloween, like bigger than Christmas. It's just bonkers. And I've never celebrated it personally, and our family has never celebrated it. So what I thought is I'll set up a Bit and Park family fun page on Facebook. I'll get my friends to organise the Halloween trail, and I'll organise the Christmas one. It was like my secret plan. Um, unfortunately, nobody wanted to organise the Halloween trail, so... <laughs> from going from never having celebrated it i organized this halloween trail but it was amazing and i just enjoyed it so much there were 17 of us we had this trail we were the house of light and um about like five days before i was like why not write a simple story that raises curiosity i'd been looking for an evangelistic tract and there are loads out there about light and christmas but i was just thinking i want to give out hundreds and I want to give out something that I feel really comfy giving to my friends. So I just sat, well, actually, I went on a walk and I had this idea about a story about a boy called Alfie. And I wrote it down, realised I could, well, actually, I sent it off to a publishing company and they said, no, we don't do Halloween stuff. This is not really evangelistic. So I thought, oh, sack it. I'll just make it on Canva and print it myself. So I did that and I bought 500 and then I promoted it amongst some friends and we gave out loads across the UK um, and we put them in a pretty little bag with a glow stick and sweets. And we gave out about 300 just on our driveway. Um, and then I just thought, well, if I'm giving out this little simple flyer that raises curiosity, I need to link somewhere. So I just made a Facebook page and called it Houses of Light. Um, so, yeah, it. I mean, it all happens in about three days. But what happened was my friends loved it. We were this amazing, beautiful house. People wrote to me and said, thanks so much. It was so meaningful. And I chatted loads to my friends. They all knew in the kind of Facebook group that I was not a Christian. So they were like, Nay, why don't you make these non-scary pumpkins, like a fairy pumpkin? Mm. And I'd watched Glenn Scrivener's excellent video on mm. Halloween. And uh, he talks about laughing at rogues when we think mm. about Halloween. So I was like, that's it. I need to make humorous pumpkins. So <laughs> nice. I Googled like funny pumpkins and we bought like these whopper pumpkins the night before. They're about seven stone each. And because I love swimming, put like snorkels and masks and swim hats on. So we went for funny pumpkins and houses of light because we wanted to laugh at darkness and mm. offer the light. And actually the local swim pool got in touch and said, can we use your photos for our publicity? So Amazing. we're in the local swim pool as well. But yeah, it, it was great. And um, we're already planning now our next nativity trail, which is launching in December the 1st. And 
it's just wonderful because everyone organizing with me, majority of them don't know Jesus. They're going to be meditating on scripture as they decorate their houses. So I'm, yeah, I don't know what the question was, but thanks. No, that that sounds good. Yeah, sounds really good. (laughs) That's probably an easier question to ask than the state of Christianity across Europe. Oh, but... don't even <laughs> no, I didn't know. That sounded, I didn't mean it that, but I meant. Dan, you're so interesting. I mean, I mean, I just meant, I meant from your experience, you know, how, how you, know, as, you know, as someone who spent 16 years of UCCF, just, mm. the, I don't know, I always think that, that, that Christianity on, on, on university campus is just, is just always, it always, it always feels to me like it's doing much better than off the university campus because I always found it I think I found it and a lot of people find it a shock because you're at university you've got you know UCF meetings you know once a week you're going to church you're you're surrounded by you know a lot of Christian friends um you're doing lunch bars mission weeks you know and it's all it's much it's easy to invite you regularly inviting people it seems very it normalizes kind of evangelism in a way it makes it makes it easier because there's always something going on and always something that you're not necessarily embarrassed to invite your non-Christian housemates and friend and friends to. And then suddenly you come off campus, you get a job, and and it's not like that anymore. There's church on a Sunday, and maybe once a year there might be an event that you might feel that's just about okay to invite someone to, or maybe at Easter or Christmas and things like that. And and it and it it it, it just becomes um just sort of comes off the the ball a bit and um i think a lot of people find that that's just sort of an observation i know i found that and i think a lot of people do and it'd be it'd be lovely if we could keep you know that same kind of spirit that that same kind of um you know what what we're doing at campus but bringing the the churches should be like that as well um and it's Mm. i I, it's always sort of frustrated me that there's such a disconnect between what's going on christianity on the, the university campus and then once we once once we're once we're off, um, that you you very quickly um, you know get into the habit of not doing what you used to be normal on at university. Hmm. That was my point. Yeah. That I don't think I explained very well. That that's what I was kind of getting your feeling. If if you think if if that's the case, yeah, that's not even I mean, really a question. I don't know. I, yeah, it kind of makes me sad because the whole point of the Christian Union is that you live and speak for Jesus where you are. So. whether that's university and then for my husband going into a lab for me going into uccf like i don't know we're part of a really brilliant church here in southampton southampton lighthouse church and um very much our experience is there's opportunity to love and serve people to share the gospel to set up events we were doing an event next week where's god in a covid world i'm speaking We've got a COVID one-on-one doctor. We've got a scientist spearheading um, quick test. And we've got a pastor who's lost somebody in COVID. Just think, like, I had the idea. I didn't suggest myself to talk. My pastor said, you should do the talk. But um, I had the idea. I shared it. They said, brilliant, let's do it. And we're doing it. Like, I don't know. I just think there's no reason why it should stop at university. And in our city, we've got a fantastic city with churches that work really well together we're doing something called love southampton where we're trying to meet the needs of the most vulnerable people in the city but we're doing that together recognizing we're stronger together as churches than our own so i just think life's short isn't it get on with it and (laughs) bring some change (laughs) sorry sorry dan i'm sure you've got a really nice question out there somewhere no 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 that was was good that that was basically like it was it was a 
it was a rebuke in a way, but really positively. No, it was a good, it was a good one. No, no, no it, it, it was, it was, it was spot on. But that, it, no, but it's true because I think because 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 I think that's what happens is you just I don't know it's it's very, it becomes because um, it's not easy. It's not easy to talk to people about Jesus. I don't find it easy, um, but I think when you're in a context at like at university, it's it's easier. The opportunities seem to, uh, I don't know. Yeah, may I mean maybe there's kind of a boldness in groups, and so when all of you are doing it, you're bold. Friendships are made quickly, so everything happens fast. Like looking at my own life here, we've lived on this road for five years, and you know, a really good friend of mine who came to Christ just three days before she died. Um, I've been friends with her for five years. I've been praying for mm. her, getting to know her, loving her family, chatting to her. Didn't know that she'd come to know Jesus that late in her life. She's only less than 30 when she died. Mm. But really what I think we forget is people are not projects and that we're just mm. called to love people, like to delight mm. in them and to serve them and be their friend. And that isn't glamorous and it takes years and years but God is at work in those friendships. And so if you'd asked me two years ago, was I encouraged in this area with what God is doing? I'd probably say no. Right. Thanks to the pandemic and lockdown, man, I'm so grateful for what God's doing in this area. It's just incredible. Um, so I think we just forget we want stuff now. And maybe that happens at university more for some reason. And it's just slower in the rest of life. And that's OK. Um, mm. I think it depends on your job as well. I'd say Dan, that when I was a teacher, I'd probably be in the same boat as you in in being wary of how much I probably pushed the boundaries a little bit more than some. Uh, just in, for example, when when a student said, "Well, hasn't science disproved God?" I'd kind of jest that I knew their science grades and um, also ask them how <laughs> and and I'd be able to like engage in that regard and I ran a big questions club which people knew I was a Christian in that and um, brought in some Christian ethics and philosophy into that and um, my amateur versions of them but the there was that sort of I can't push too hard here because I could lose my job for proselytizing mm -hmm. but now that I'm in a job that's very much a Christian mission organization. Uh, it is on campus. We're, we're working alongside the university. So that my, my idea of Christian evangelism and mission has probably shifted substantially in the last two years and making sure that we don't come across like everyone's a project. Everyone, uh, we have all the answers for everyone already uh, before we even know them. But very much my, my boldness has shifted because of the job that I'm in. And I think it's recognizing that people in full-time work where there's controversial, sensitive issues, um, where a Christian ethic clashes, that has a significant impact on how readily you share the faith and possibly even your, an impact on your faith in general. I, I, would, I would suggest it did on mine as a teacher for, for a while. Um, but I think there's there's an interesting aspect like how do you do you feel now that your job on campus is leading you to be creative in the church like do you feel there's definite overlap in what you're doing and seeing with students and then do you feel like that's shifted anything having mm. the bridge between the two 
Actually, one thing, just to go back on Dan a sec, um, Lindsay Brown talks about, he works for IFES, talks about this pyramid, and he says, like, any national movement with IFES that is doing this is going to flourish. So the bottom is lots of personal evangelism, that's the bottom of the pyramid. The middle bit is small group evangelism, so Seeker Bible Studies or Christianity Explored. And then the top bit of the pyramid is public evangelism. Mm. And I do think um, university Christian unions are brilliant at doing those three together and yeah. looking at church life. We do a lot of personal, a lot of kind of small group stuff. Well, some small group stuff. We don't do much public evangelism at all. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to kind of reclaim public communication, which can be really creative. So I, I'm talking about TikTok videos, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. just a boring evangelistic talk, but like really good evangelistic talks that communicate clearly that the Christians sit there and think, I want this as well as the yeah. non-Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that is probably missing actually, which is what we're trying to do in Passion for Evangelism, bring back um, boldness and courageousness and public communication of the gospel. Um, creativity, to be honest, my creativity I think it's God-given. It's a gift from him. Hmm. Um, I'm not really on campus very much at the moment, and I tend to get ideas when I'm on a bike. I think most geniuses <laughs> have their ideas on bikes. Um, but I find if I'm swimming or on my bike and I'm praying and asking God to inspire me, then ideas just flow. And I think I've got more and more courage and boldness now just to go for it and not not really care what Christians think, but to do yeah. this to serve and love my mates in this area. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, going back to you, what you were saying, Phil, is how the the job, I think that the, what, what you do for work does, does, does impact the kind of space that you feel like able to have those discussions with. So I've had some jobs where um, I didn't really have any concerns about worrying like what I said was going to get me in trouble. But then I've had other jobs where you, you feel like you, you have to be very careful about um, even if you say the right thing, how it could be interpreted, how someone could, could be offended by by what, what, what you've said, and um, sort of going to be escalated. I think there's, I don't know, that's something I miss. I miss, I miss being in a job where I felt, you know, felt I had this kind of freedom to have interesting conversations, and it doesn't really necessarily have to be evangelism, but like just inter- interesting questions about meaning, purpose, you know, who, who are we, you know, about. Um, origin, you know, all, all sorts of things, but th- those sorts of conversations, the like ethics, those sorts of questions, lend themselves to, to eventually, you know, the, uh, leading you down the road to to what could be characterised as eva- evangelism. Um, yeah, yeah, and actually, I mean, it's funny because thinking about it, none of my evangelistic conversations have happened in work. I mean, it might be because I've not seen a soul since like March. <laughs> um, I have done evangelistic talks, but they've not led to conversations because I've just said goodbye and put my laptop down. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think in lockdown, community is a new apologetic that everyone's desperate for. Mm-hmm. People are just wanting it so badly. And as Christians, we have the ultimate reason to believe in community. We, we believe in God who is Father, Son and Spirit. So he is relationship community within himself. We've got this ultimate reason. And what we've tried to do as a family is just offer out community and love and hospitality as widely as we can within our friendships. And it's that that then has stopped people. And they've said to me, nay, why do you do so much for other people? Why do you believe in building community? And then I can talk about God. And in fact, the other day, 
one of the people that was going to run the Halloween trail that didn't said to me, nay, we need a strong community leader and you're that person. She, mm. She's not a Christian. She's So I just think we've got to focus a bit more on like loving our neighbours and mm. building community. And when we do that in a kind of fresh, courageous way that, you know, is a bit awkward, so you've got to take risks. So, for example, we're on a 10-day isolation. This is week six of isolating since September. And... Um, Everyone's a bit miserable, but I thought, why not do a 10-day video challenge? So I put a post up this morning on Facebook. Any parents year one, year four from school, join our 10-day video challenge. No one responded for an hour, and then one person responded. So I spent the rest of the day saying, come on, this is going to be really fun, like phoning people mm. up. And tonight we had 21 entrants. People were loving it. We're going to do another one tomorrow. If you look at my Facebook, you'll see my husband's entry. Um, but it takes a certain level of boldness and courage for me even just to do that. Mm -hmm. But as I do that, people write to me and they're like, no, thanks so much. I got given Prosecco yesterday because of what I do for the community. And I just think we kind of got it the wrong way around. So if we're not chatting people or having those conversations, it's probably because we just need to get out there and pray for more opportunities to love people and actually get to know them. And I think... Like rule of six is really interesting. And then rule of one's really interesting. Um, so I think the rule of six is really good for friendships. Um, six is a magic number. I've been reading about professional gatherers and um, they talk about six being a magic number because you have high levels of intimacy and sharing. So when the rule of six came in, I was like, thank you, government. I'm sure you didn't do it mm. for this reason, but this is really good for the church. This is really good for friendships. Because mm. our home group has gone from nine or ten down to six. And anything I was doing has gone down to six. So I've had better conversations. Rule of one, I am loving so much. So I set mm. up a river swimming club in March. And we've now got about 13 people in it. And we obviously used to swim together. And then we swam in groups of six. And now we're swimming in twos. I've got a doodle pole. Um mm. And today I swam at four and just had the most delightful conversation with someone. So I think it's like seeing what God is doing and seeing that um, he is much weightier than any of our problems. Mm -hmm. And in that, we can seek opportunities to love people. So I'm embracing the smallness of life, maybe feeling a bit awkward. I wouldn't always do these one to ones so much, but um, I'm embracing it and enjoying it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's been one of the biggest challenges that I've found in in the last couple of years of, of the ministry that I do that just shifting this idea of hospitality in a culture that's kind of not really <laughs> um, good at it. Like there, there's an aspect of hospitality that we, we are good of in uh, good at in Britain. And that's mainly the sort of um, come dine with me where I, let's put on a show, put on our best, uh, our, our best, uh, tablecloth and <laughs> best cooking and it's and it's almost a, a, sh a show with it um, and I think the challenge that I've found is actually Christian hospitality is is more than that it's being aware of your neighbor and their needs and being sort of front-footed um, not necessarily extroverted <laughs> like, but just <laughs> but, like being open to say hello <laughs> even just knocking on the door are you okay how are you doing um at a socially distanced uh distance at the moment but um that challenge of christian hospitality that opens up your life to others to offer that community is in itself and i like what you said that it 
that in itself is an apologetic and an evangelistic mm-hmm. moment because it breaks an aspect of culture that people don't realize that they're looking to go beyond. I think, well, they do now. I know I've talked to my neighbor quite a bit now and he's just recognizing how much this lockdown has changed him from, from being quite a confident extroverted person. Um, him now being in the sort of vulnerable category, he's really quite, quite worried. So, um, yeah, so it's very much that kind of, um, how do we challenge the church to to be it doesn't take a huge amount of creativity but have you had um much pushback on on that kind of hospitality front are you finding people going that's too hard for me how how are you finding the interaction with your your church on on these ideas and and how much like effort are you finding to to get people moving on these th- on these things. Yeah, I mean, I love the verses in 1 Thessalonians 2. So it says, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Mm. And that is really, like, moving for me. And like I said earlier, it just takes time sometimes. And we've got to remain really firm about what we believe, like the parable of the sower, what do you actually believe about evangelism? Um, so our neighbour, we've been here five years. We've not done the best job at getting to know them. We've said hello over the fence. We went round for dinner early on. Um, but we've been their neighbour. We've been kind and friendly where we can. And I think it's important to remember that God is at work in his world and we're weak. And one of the major jobs in evangelism is praying and seeing what God does. And we were so encouraged about six weeks ago, we were outside our house and our neighbour stopped us and said, "Um, I've been feeling really low and depressed. He never talks to us like that. He's only 22. I've been feeling really low and depressed. Can I come to church with you? And we were like, why do you want to come to church with us? Um, And he said, I want to come to church with you because um, in my training for the police force, all the senior most respected officers speak openly about their faith in Jesus and that they can only do their job because they're Christians. He was like, I'm a trainee policeman. I need to know about this because they're really good policemen and I'm feeling really low and depressed. So he started coming to church on Zoom because that's how we did it, everything live during lockdown. Um, And now he's come in person and he's doing a secret Bible study with my husband each week. Um, But if you'd asked me about eight weeks ago, was I feeling encouraged about my neighbours? I would have said, no chance. I mean, I do think lockdown has broken down quite a few barriers and people are more open to chatting. But it's easy just to think, you know, everyone's fine living their nice life with their fake turf and their new paddling pool and DIY Mm -hmm. projects. But actually, when you put yourself out there and try and organise something or just go and drop cakes at someone's door, you just realise everyone is broken at the moment and on the verge of something. So... I think we've got to try and forget about ourselves. Tim Keller talks about self-forgetfulness and C.S. Lewis does and just throw ourselves out there loving people and see what God does through that because our, our experience has just been really positive in these last few months. Hmm. Yeah, I, I found, I had a bit of an interesting experience of my, my street. We, we moved fairly recently to a place where we, we don't have much footfall, whereas before we were really close to our neighbours and a really good community. And um, we just, we've managed to set up a WhatsApp fairly early in the first lockdown. And I, I just put on one of our first live streams, which probably is a bit embarrassing now. <laughs> it's just like, if you, if you need some, if you need some hope and 
um, I'm involved with this church. And it did kind of backfire because there's there's also seems to be someone with um, a few issues who doesn't really like Christianity. And um, <laughs> let's say I had an interesting happen. interaction on my front door, but I think that was more mental health stuff than, uh, than mm-hmm. anything else. But um, yeah, w- people know we're, we're Christian. It's, it's there. It, the, the worst that could happen is they say no. And we just had one experience where I talked to my neighbor about it and actually he's had issues with the same person, not because of anything Christian, but just for various issues. So it, in terms of the the relational aspect, most people are kind of like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You might not get that much back. You might. Uh, and that's that's the key. You might get what, what you do get back is often actually more encouraging than you might realize. Um, but it does take, for some reason, it does like like about hearts pounding. It's just a WhatsApp message. Why why is this such a big deal? Oh um, yeah, totally. I mean, I think it is though, isn't it? Like with my friend that was dying, I thought she had died a week before she did, and I tried to chat to her loads, and I was like, "Please, God, just let her live one more night, and I'm going to send her a message." So I sent her a sixty second WhatsApp message. And she didn't reply until the next day. And then she was like, no, no, no doom and gloom. I've not gone yet. And I was just like, whoa, what a response. I've just like shared the gospel. This is crazy. Um, but then when we did get to chat a week later, um, I, like she was talking about loads of random stuff. And I said, look, you've got to stop talking. I've got to talk to you about something. And I made her listen to me. And at the end, she said, no, I believe everything you've said. And I'd been talking oh. about the resurrection. And um, I just think, yeah, there is a boldness at that point, but by not sharing it with people, we're denying them the opportunity to yeah. actually choose for themselves. Mm-hmm. By us not telling them, we're making up their minds that they don't want to know. And that's just ridiculous. Like we want to just put it on a plate, give people an opportunity to choose for themselves. If they say no, that's fine. I will still be their friend, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't think we should make up people's minds for them. And we've been pleasantly surprised like why why should we be surprised that people want to find life and hope mm-hmm. in the darkness and the mess that we've got right now um like right at the start of lockdown i just thought i want to do something so we got our um 10 minute evangelistic video from church our pastor's amazing sanjay rajo and um i set up a facebook watch party on my own and i said to all my friends come at eight o'clock on sunday and i made a mistake i hadn't downloaded it properly so then i was like come on monday at eight o'clock instead and um three friends turned up to this facebook watch party it was so simple to run one was a friend i met on a campsite she lived in blackpool and we met in france um another was john's phd student and then the third was my neighbor so like completely random selection (laughs) and we were listening to this evangelistic easter talk and it was amazing and at one point sanjay said um do you believe that jesus can raise people from the dead put your answers in again it was a zoom chat so you were meant to actually put your answers in we were watching the recording so my neighbor was like where do i put the effing answers in i was like that was a zoom call just write in facebook so she wrote maybe and then two minutes later, she put, Nate, if God can raise people from the dead, why are my dad's sister and brother still dead? And I was just yeah. like, whoa, that's such a question. A can question. we talk later on Zoom? So we then kept on watching. And she'd obviously gone to the loo because she came back and she's like, I missed the prayer. I missed the beep, beep, beep prayer. <laughs> can you rewind? So I had to rewind this like live video. Um, 
but then we went on to Zoom for an hour and a half and we talked about her dad and her family and how sad that was. And she said to me, Nave, you can show me that God is a better father than my dad, who I really love, then I'll listen to you. And I was like, oh, my word, he is like the best father you can ever imagine. I said, like, can I read you a story from Luke 15 about this incredible father? He's so much better than your dad. And she literally shouted down Zoom, nay, read me the Bible, read me the Bible. <laughs> so I was there on Zoom, like reading Luke 15 and then put my mask on and gloves on and walked around and dropped off Luke's gospel at her house. But it's just there are so many opportunities to be bold and courageous and I don't think I've got any friends that have said, I don't want to be your friend anymore because of like because of what you're saying. I mean, even last week, someone wrote to me and said, I'd asked her to design a nativity trail. She wrote and said, nay, I can't possibly do this. I'm an atheist. And I was like, mm. no problem. My family are atheists. I totally understand. <laughs> I'll get you to do the Santa Box trail instead. Like, it's totally fine for people to have an opinion, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah. And I'll stop waffling. No, no, that's it's good. Not, it's not waffle. It's, not waffle. <laughs> so good. it's, it's, it's really interesting and it's um it's encouraging. I, I I need I need a bit of encouragement. So it's nice to to hear to hear that kind of stuff. It's um yeah, COVID's been really um it's been an interesting time. That's an understatement, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. But, um it, ha- it has. I mean, some some things we've done. So we I, I bought um. I bought like several copies of um, John Lennox's book on COVID, like coronavirus and um, and suffering oh, and, and, and God. And what what we did, I have I've got millions of books, and um, my wife's always telling me to get rid of them, which I refuse. <laughs> but uh, a point of weakness, I collected some and put them in a box. So what what we did, we put put those books out with loads of other books I had, and we just put a box out every day saying, "Look, we're at fifty three, like." We'd really love you to have these books. Please, please take one. Not you don't need to give anything. And um, it was um, it was lovely. And, and every day, like we'd be watching the window, and the kids would be like, "Look, Dad, Dad, they're taking another book. They're taking another book." And they'd like be flicking it through. It's like, has he got one of the John Lennox ones? And we'd, we'd be like excited when they take take one of the books. And um, and it's really nice. And you sort of sort of see people like looking around, like, "Where are these people? Who are they?" <laughs> and um, and that was really nice. And I had a um, a lady walk past. Uh, last last week, and she said, "Oh, are you the people that left um, mm. the books out?" She said, "I took some of those books. They were they really really helped me during during, during during lockdown." And um, it was it was quite lucky because my three year old talks to everyone, and he like me lacks some. I, he can't always identify sort of social cues, so he just talks <laughs> to people, and there's like people are wanting to get away, but he just keeps talking to them. Um, so we've made a lot of um, that's that's that can be quite quite helpful. But um, to evangelist, yeah, he is. He loves it. He's like a son. Hector, they want to. They want to get away. Let them go. And he's like, do you know? I have lips and I don't have a beard. I'm, like, Thank you, I'm not. I'm not sure they wanted to know that. Um, but he, yeah, he's an actual evangelist. He loves it. Um, but that was something that we, we was 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 great because we didn't we didn't know what to do. You know, at that time, like locked in your house. I was like, what can we do? Well, books. You know, people will people will read, and people are still going out walking. Um, and I know that had some other friends were talking about that they then did that with the John Lennox book and stuff as well. And I think that was quite a, a helpful resource to to, to have to hand and, and, and let some give give those books to our neighbours and stuff as well. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've got a friend, Rosie O'Donnell, and she put a box every day on lockdown at the end of her driveway. And it, it said something like, best selling book ever, take one for free. <laughs> and she just had the best conversations because you can shout at people from your windows and yeah. I'm good old Natter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's so, I mean, there's so many opportunities to do this kind of thing. The Houses of Light, friends of mine just decorated their houses with big fairy lights. They didn't do a trail. Um, but they gave out these beautiful packs and hundreds were given away. And it was just so simple. Um, so maybe God's doing something and stirring us all up and giving us opportunities to talk to our friends and being a bit more bold and courageous. And I just think it's so good. Like if people hadn't done that for me, I would never have been a Christian. And mm. so it's just trying to be kind to other people rather than just thinking about yourself. Yeah. We've just noticed that... Uh, the program has been busy asking some questions. So uh, just on this topic of evangelism, <clears throat> um, I guess we're kind of talking, I'll just put it on, this, on the screen. So if, if Christianity is uh, decreasing, like what, where does evangelism come into play? How important is it um, when the, the numbers are not on your side? Um, I've got a few thoughts thoughts on that program. But Nay, do you have any initial well, why on, don't you go first? I quite like to hear what you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so, I, I think the numbers are never on our side as Christians. I, I think we've kind of been lulled into a false sense of security with the the fact that we are in a majority in the West. Um, we take for granted that our society is very much in. Um, it's built on christian foundations whether people recognize that or not i'm very grateful for books like tom holland's dominion to point out that fact um but yeah so so evangelism i i think we like to think it's a numbers game but i don't think it ever is and i think even just this conversation that we're having is actually the most powerful moments of evangelism are often just the the one-to-one the the one to five if you can um and for me i think that's also been where i've been shifting my attention in in church like the small groups aspect is the lifeblood of the church in lockdown because you don't connect (laughs) over a youtube screen uh like there's there's just no we try to make it fellowship as best we can but there, there isn't um and people watching at different times and um yeah, you get a little bit of a sense of, of worship and something has happened. But in terms of evangelism, you can't, you can invite your friends a bit, but if it's not a specifically evangelistic Sunday, then there's not really much there. So I think with, with evangelism matters probably more now than ever. <laughs> I think with this opportunity, yeah, sure. Christianity is decreasing in the sense of cultural Christianity. Um, people going to church because they feel like they have to, and that's what people do. But, um, I see that as you've been talking there as well, I think probably agree is that this is a great opportunity for the church, for Christianity to show, or do we actually have hope or is it just empty words and wooden uncomfortable benches on a Sunday? Um, yeah. Oh, and yeah I, th- I think, um, so public evangelism has breadth, but not depth and personal evangelism, seeker Bible study evangelism has depth, but not breadth. And so when you combine the two, I think it has a powerful impact on a community. And I just think we've forgotten public evangelism in churches. We don't know how to do it in a winsome, warm, compelling mm. way. But, it, but at that point, 
you can reach a whole load of people. And so the numbers thing doesn't matter so much. So we ran some brilliant events in lockdown. Uh, one of them was called Jesus, Racism and Me. And it was, no, no. Then there's another one called Justice, Dignity and Jesus. And that was all about the foundation of justice and dignity. We had some incredible women on the panel. And um, it was an evangelistic event about justice and dignity. And, you know, we're at a thousand views. And this is just little old Nay Dawson on her personal YouTube that she thought would be a bit of fun to set up in lockdown. Um, so that's had a huge reach. And I know that people have watched it for the entire time because the stats tell me. Um, but it doesn't have the depth that maybe a one-to-one -one would have with somebody. But, yeah, I just think we never do evangelism because the numbers are on our side, do we? That's just like not in the equation it's about being a farmer that liberally spreads the word across the field as much as we possibly can um so but yeah i think we have forgotten how to go broad and deep at the same time hmm. yeah i mean the numbers have been much worse i mean we originally started with 12 and went down to 11 so um <laughs> so the thing, things it could always it's all it could always be much worse um yeah, you 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 are the pessimist. Aren't you? <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Um, cool. I, there's there's probably a little bit. Uh, not, uh, as I'm interested in uh, and also involved in um, student ministry and an international uh, aspect to it. Uh, one one of the questions that I think is quite interesting. Uh, I'll be interested in your answer as well. Is is what what are the most uh, maybe even aside from pandemic, <laughs> which I think has some interesting challenges, um, wh what are you finding? Um, yeah, uh, well, pandemic seems to be with us for a little while. So wh what is the most challenging aspect at the moment that you're you're finding and has that changed? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's massively shifted, hasn't it? I can't even imagine being a student right now. Um so there's just so many challenges and the challenges seem really different across Europe. So, you know, some people are happy having a great time. Mm. <laughs> I'm in parties, I have 200 people in the halls. Um, mm. But others are having a really difficult time. So I think that diversity of experience is hard. Some have just gone home and quit already. I, I don't blame them. Mm. Um, others are self-isolating. I think there's challenges to do with you know, joining a local church, um, finding out where the Christian union is, everything that used to be hard is just now exasperated. Saying that, um, I do think students, certainly in Southampton, are finding church um, a whole lot quicker and making it their home because it's been in person. That might change now we're going back to online. Um, but yeah, there's huge challenges of mental health, um, like the universities have thought about hybrid teaching and blended learning, but completely forgotten about the community aspect of university. Mm. And so that's gone. And that's like mental health is so fragile in that age group anyway, that it's going to be a disaster. Um, so, yeah. And, I, you know, you hope Christmas isn't cancelled for them, that they can get back in time. Um, I just think the challenge is they've, they've shifted so much for us as a movement even you know financial challenges of supporters mm. that have stopped supporting and can we even afford to pay our staff across Europe those kind of things um and probably the apologetic questions are changing as well um not yeah not quite sure on that yet what that looks like but yeah I mean it's just it almost feels like it's an entire challenge right now I think mm -hmm. there's some trends that we've been seeing in mission 
So evangelism that's going well on campuses is more collaborative. So the Scottish Christian unions decided to get together every single university in Scotland did a joint mission online. And that was phenomenal. Um, I think there's a trend in online work having a far greater reach than ever before. So mm -hmm. particularly like making it more accessible for lots of different people that could never come to events. So, you know, I've heard of Muslim women that desperately wanted to go to Alpha courses, but not allowed to go out of the house. Now they're secretly attending Alpha via their laptop. So I think um, where there's challenges, there are these huge opportunities for yeah. creativity, greater reach, adaptability, um, greater opportunity for community. But yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for university staff. I feel sorry for everyone. It's just mm. a nightmare, isn't it? I've, yeah. I've got, sorry, just, I've got a quick question. I was just thinking while you, uh, while you were speaking. Um, like, so, uh, you you were in the UK apologetics group, right? UK apologetics yeah. event, yeah. So I, I set that up with um, with with Callum Miller about must be eight or nine years ago now. So we got like sort of four, maybe just over four thousand people on there. And I always yeah. think that we don't. It doesn't really get used as well as it could, as I kind of envisioned. And I, I, you know, I've had much less time on Facebook since I've had kids and things like that. Um, and, and other work commitments but I was wondering like what would you how, how could I how could we better use that as a as a resource in terms of, like we got over 4,000 Christians on there um, and I, I, I I'm, I'm like you in the sense I have lots of ideas um, except my ideas are not usually to do with evangelism and they're to do with other 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 things um which which is not great for evangelism um so <laughs> I, I would be really interested to know like what well how could i make better use of 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 that community for for evangelism yeah i mean i think facebook is really interesting so if you've not looked at nonna jones she's head of faith for facebook and she's really interesting so when they kind of hit hmm. their mark i can't remember the figure but they hit this mark of like you know a quarter of the world's population at that point, they realized they didn't need just to reach out to people. They needed to connect people better. So they appointed Nona Jones, head of faith for Facebook. So she does a lot of work that is specifically for how you use Facebook for faith groups. And I think it's really interesting how it's becoming more intuitive for faith, for, for faith groups. So like within a group, you can have a mentoring scheme. Um, you've got your page, which is your, your front window. You've got your group, which is closed. Um, you've got these rooms that you open up within the groups where you can have conversations. And I think there's just some basic things about how you get a Facebook group alive. So you need to regularly post content. You need to post content where people are going to engage back with you. You need to have on average five or six people that are regularly responding to every post to build a sense of community. Um, and you need to try and live stream into that group as much as possible to create momentum. And I've yes. noticed a big, big difference when you do like a, a closed Zoom call or a YouTube thing or you post right into Facebook. And I love posting to Facebook because it just pops up on people's notifications and they're like, oh, I just happened to watch an hour of you talking there. I didn't plan to. Mm. Um, mm. So I think you've got to look at what they're doing in Facebook for you and look at all the new apps that Nona is creating and then um, get a team of people that will work for you. 
Um, so they've got nice little titles like I become chief admin or like best ideas person or best storyteller yeah. or best visual storyteller. That was my favorite. So you get this little shield. Um, like work out all those little things that you could become and then find somebody within the group and just appoint them and say, you know, for a month, you're going to be our creative storyteller. So every week post a story and get a conversation going. Um, so that we've got this passion for evangelism Facebook group. And that's what we do. We post content regularly. We live stream into the page to get people engaged. If we've ever got an event, we open up a room and we get people mm. praying for the event. Um I, I mean, I'm really interested in like where you meet online because I think um, a venue is a nudge and it's a script to the event that you're going to have. And what we've done with online church is we've just gone for ease and we've gone for streaming on YouTube. And church has never been a transmission of a message. It's a, the gathering of God's people. And so I think if we stop and pause and think about our values and then look at how amazing technology is, and work out which technology best enhances our values of our meeting, it's just quite exciting where we could go. I mean, I'm really positive about online church for many reasons. Mm. Um, but the difference, so I ran, through lockdown, I ran this um, wine and chat at 7.30 every Thursday for mums in year one. And we did it on Zoom, and the time lag on Zoom was just a bit awkward, and the numbers went down, few issues with a few people getting too drunk. So it stopped. And then I said, why don't we start it as a Facebook room within our group where we already exist? Like, where do people inhabit? And instantly the numbers went up again. And Facebook doesn't have that time lag. Two or three people can natter at once. And it was just really lovely for us as a group. So I just think we've got to think a whole lot more about where we are having our meetings and what does it say about the meeting just by what platform we're choosing. I don't know if that answers your question. But yeah, I love Facebook groups. Just get a strategy. I mean, I don't mind sending a strategy afterwards. Yeah, no, I mean, it'd be, it'd be good yeah. to chat because, I mean, I, I, I'd love it to be – I know, Phil, you do you do a lot more on there now than than, than I uh, have f for a while. And I've been just letting you know, I mean, if, if, if it's possible for you to even, um, you know, stream what you're doing, whether that can also go on our page as well, something like that would be – I just think anything, if there's people actively doing stuff, that's great to share so have that you share, Have you shared this into the group tonight? So, yeah, we've we've got the YouTube clip in, but the, the issue with StreamYard is it can only, if it's free, which we are. If you oh. want to support this work, anyone watching, no, feel free. No, come on. <laughs> I pay for it for myself. It's like 25 quid a month. So that's yeah. the cool thing. You pay for it and you then you, you give it to all your friends generously and they love you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can put it into Facebook and then it just goes in multiple places. That's cool. Mm. Right. So that's that's the dream. That's that's where we're headed with this. Oh come point. on. Right, everyone, can you please support this? <laughs> this is ridiculous. If like yeah. five people give five quid a month, they can then show on Facebook and they'll get loads more people. Please will you give tonight to Critical Witness? These guys are great. <laughs> I don't even know them and I think they're great. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks. You can come I, again, mate. Like, we'll, thanks, we'll, we'll anytime. Just, if, I didn't realise you could do that. I didn't realise yeah. you could do that. Um, stream on multiple that's, that's the dream. platforms. Yeah join, yeah, join us next week. I mean, the other thing is you could just use my stream yard if you want because I've got it. <laughs> um, but next week we're doing um, Where's God in the COVID World on YouTube, on Facebook. And the thing is, if you just do Zoom to Facebook Live, not everyone's got Facebook. But between yeah. Facebook and YouTube, everyone's got you that. cover a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's really encouraging because I, I think maybe doing live events on there because we've got so, we've got so many interesting yeah. people on there It'd as well. Amazing. We could just do like, like, oh, next Wednesday, if you've got 
half an hour to do a talk and half an hour Q&A on, you know, suffering, you know, coronavirus and God or something like that would be a really interesting thing we could we could do. And yeah. uh, it's made me think like how maybe that's one thing we could do to you to like even have like half an hour Q&A or something like that or because um, oh, yeah. it definitely doesn't get utilised as much as it could. And I, I no. my, my issue is, is lack of ideas and time. Um, and uh, we used to have a really active admin group and it's kind of just sort of... Still sort of ticking along. A lot, yeah. It is very much a community of just posting articles at the moment. And, and yeah. So, yeah, that, some really good ideas there. Just aware that our audience, uh, we have an F, a Facebook group. You can find it. Um, attached to our Facebook page, UK Apologetics and Evangelism. We tend to try and keep it to people in the UK just to keep it um, culturally relevant, really. There's a lot of groups that are very much get swamped by American-isms very quickly. And um, nothing we do try American, and let people, but... sometimes we let people in from the Commonwealth. You know? <laughs> yeah. it, it's actually spawned yeah. off. There's a really active. So my friend Bruce Blackshaw, um, who moved back to Australia last last year, he set up a couple of years ago Australian, uh, a UK mm. uh, uh, Australian apologetics and evangelism, the same nice. same group, and they've got they've got like fifteen hundred, two thousand people there, and that's a going really really big impact. It's it's, it's, it's really interesting mm. to see what they're they're doing and um, a really active group. So it's nice how they sort of spread but i just think i'd love to you know listening to you just to see it's giving me some really sort of really helpful ideas about how it could be utilized better mm. um, because it, you know having four thousand people you know that's not a small amount of people an insignificant number mm. of people so yeah i mean um, i guess like you just want a clear vision as well like what is the vision of the group and mm. then what we do as well every sunday night i don't know what happens on sunday nights but we welcome new people into pfe into the group and we write this new little welcome post and we put, tell us about yourself. We want to know why you joined the group. And we want to know a bit about how you get involved in evangelism. And that's just really lovely. And then other people will be like, oh, hi, welcome, Beth from Surrey. Um, and you have a nice little chit chat and you get to know each other. Pe each other. Um, so I just think if you kind of imagine it as like your party, your people, like how are you going to host that? Well, how are you going to be a really good host mm. in that event or in that group? Um mm. Yeah. Maybe after this, maybe you have to give us some training one evening on how to do this stuff. I don't even know how good. to do that. Is Actually, that so I've written a, a blog post called The Art of Gathering Online. I did a lot in lockdown with churches online and charities online. And it's all about how you gather online and how you gather communicates something of your message and that communicates something of the God you believe in. And I think it's, mm. it's really important actually. Um, so read my blog post. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good stuff that can apply to even church groups, um, church Facebook groups. So hopefully those listening can apply some of the things that they've heard and uh, yeah, that'll be really useful stuff and go to Nay's blog, which what was the website again? Naydawson.com. <laughs> it's quite there simple. There we go. Naydawson.com. Um, there we go. We've got another question on the screen. Do you ever get the time to study apologetics? Is yeah, that that's a great question. Um, so I think probably the best time for me to study is when I'm getting ready to speak. Um, so if I'm speaking at an events week or at an event, then that's a really good time to prepare. So I did a talk maybe five weeks ago on where is God in a COVID world? And it's just really great to read the latest John Lennox book, to read some Tim Keller stuff. So I'm the kind of person that struggles to sit down for hours on end and read. 
Um, I find it much easier to read if I've got a purpose. And also, I really love Audible, and I do a lot of listening to Audible whilst walking or cycling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, my husband and I did a, a course at Wycliffe a decade or so ago on apologetics, and that was fantastic. When I worked for UCCF, we had a study programme for all the staff that we did every month. Um, so I think it's really important to keep reading as much as you possibly can. But what I find important as a mum with kids and an active life, I, it's got to work with my life so that I'm learning head knowledge and then being transformed in my heart. So mm -hmm. when I'm speaking, I'm hopefully inviting people to come and know the God that I love and worship rather than just trying to persuade people. Um, but yeah, I, I was hoping maybe in this autumn I might do some more study with Wycliffe, but that's just not happened. I need I need to make some time for it, so I'd, I would like to do that more. Um, but I think just put yourself in for some evangelistic talks and you'll find you end up reading a couple of books in preparation, which is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think it's putting yourself forward, isn't it? Some, some of it you just got to just take that step. And there's loads of things around that help engage that step so things like alpha courses the bible course uh one-to-one -one bible studies um oh, it's the word one-to-one -one, um that i recommend and it's just asking your friend do you want to read the bible with with me um and i, I think my we, we've had this conversation a little bit um on this channel i don't know if you've, you've seen it but we've got <coughs> We've, we've had this conversation of where does apologetics fit within evangelism? And I find with apologetics, we can sometimes get caught up with, I have to have the right answer. I have to have the answer before I can speak. And I have to have the right answer before I can engage with someone who might be critical of Christianity. And, and I think that's sometimes we end up with apologetics being the excuse for not doing evangelism mm. because I don't know enough. And, and I think one of the sort of, breaking books for me a while ago i think it was actually danny recommended it, but it's a, a book named questioning evangelism by mm -hmm. randy newman newman yeah yeah, yeah. It actually wasn't uh, me it wasn't you oh there you go uh, it was it was someone else who reads a lot of books then um but the just a, a recommend that 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 idea mm -hmm. that actually i can ask questions before <laughs> giving answers i can understand the person first before sure everyone needs jesus going into a question saying i know what you going into a conversation saying i know what you need before you even know the person is not just arrogant but it's not going to win you anyone uh, any favors and um so yeah I, I think studying apologetics can be helpful but it shouldn't hinder how ready you are to share your faith you can yeah. share your faith no matter how studied you are we we should all be inquisitive like i i always think that most most people are always going to have similar sort of questions to what you have you know we're all we're all a lot of us have you know similar experiences to, to, to some extent and so if you if you're naturally sort of thinking you know what 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 answer do i find satisfying to the the, the problem of evil and suffering what answer do i find suffering uh, satisfying about you know christianity and history and crusades and stuff like that so I often just find, you know, they're the most likely questions to pop up, the ones that you find difficult or, or, or interesting if you've you've tried to, um, you know, think about as a, as a Christian or before you were a Christian. Um, and I think, yeah, trying to ante anticipate every question, every possible question, like what if they ask about, you know, 
the A and B theory of time, you know, with the <laughs> cosmological argument. And I don't know what about now there's a C, you know, this other thing. And you think if you start doing that, you'll never do evangelism because mm -hmm. like it's impossible to, to know all that stuff. And like, like you were saying, like we follow, we follow the master questioner. And, you, know, the, you know, Jesus was so great at asking questions and not just, and not, and not, seeing that as a as a tactic for evangelism but genuinely being interested like what do you think like mm -hmm. you know um you know someone asked about suffering it's like well how do you do it? how do you understand suffering you know mm -hmm. from your from your worldview like why do you not find it satisfying or mm -hmm. uh, you know there's and that that takes the pressure off you having to know everything i think i've gone through yeah. periods like that where i used to read apologetics books all the time and it just feeling uh just overburdened of my inadequacy to mm -hmm. understand everything and to remember everything yeah well i could understand something but then to remember it you know you know three years later when the one person out of the thousands i've spoken to asked that question is just an unnecessary burden um i i, I think like you just just love people uh, and just mm -hmm. be genuinely interested in them and um you know yeah. yeah, I was interested to hear John Lennox, Professor John Lennox speak in December and um, he was talking about how he asks people questions and he keeps on asking them questions until they ask him a question back. And he's one of the cleverest men around. You know, yeah. he could vomit the gospel out on anyone and <laughs> give a good answer for anything, couldn't he? Mm. But he mm -hmm. chooses instead to ask questions until they ask a question back. And I think that is a fantastic principle and I, I mean, I love that book by Randy Newman. I read it years ago and I found it so helpful. And I just love it when it encourages you to look at how Jesus engages and interacts with people and his use of story. And that is just so amazing because stories are such a phenomenal way of communicating truth to people so that it's felt and it impacts them. Um, and it leaves them longing for more. It leaves them curious. And I love the way Jesus tells these stories, ask questions which leave people really deeply impacted, so much more than just a kind of sermon at them. And I think there's a lot to learn from that book, actually. And we've seen that with the Uncover Studies, which are a bit like the word one-to-one, -one, just encouraging your friends to look at the person of Jesus, how he interacts with other people and inviting them to come and meet him those stories are just incredible and when you really love like live them and know them and then you can just share them with your friends they're life-changing and you know it'd be i think this is a time for seeker bible studies actually because the one thing you can do is meet one-to-one -one in most places still you can go for a walk you can chat um and i think looking at seeker bible studies they're best done in small groups and so this is the moment. So tomorrow, actually, we're hosting a really big event with iFees online with Rebecca Manny Pippet speaking. And um, my team's hosting it. And it's called For Such a Time as This, Introducing Your Friends to Jesus. And I think this is the moment for Seeker Bible Studies. So if you've not ever done one, do it because your heart will be warmed about Jesus. You'll learn stuff from your friends. Um, but yeah, those stories that you're talking about and asking questions it is really freeing. And I've been in so many conversations where people are just trying to shove you in a corner with their intellectual knowledge. Mm. And looking back now, that's all they were trying to do. And I think mm. loving people saying, I'll come back with an answer. It's just a really good approach to difficult questions. It, yeah. it, it, it's yeah, the, um, 
I think one of the things I think it would be interesting is it'd be a good sort of segue into to, um, you know, women evangelists. There is this, there's always this undercurrent um, with men that when you have two people that disagree about something, especially when they're particularly passionate, the, the end goal is very rarely truth. The, the, the goal is usually winning or being perceived to have won the, the discussion that's really an argument. It's always, um, and there's, there's something about that um, that's, it, it's often the natural way that those conversations develop and between between men um and i'm sure there's all sorts of reasons um for that um and especially with people with who who are really interested in apologetics it does it like i said before it becomes sort of this intellect intellectual jousting contest uh rather than the pursuit of truth or some a conversation that is motivated by love for that person and wanting to share the, the gospel with them and it, it's, it can be more about being perceived as having won the won the argument. You know, they couldn't respond to my argument from the Kalam or the ontological art. Yeah, and 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 um, I, I would say, on av well, in my experience, I've never seen women when they in those kinds of conversations it ever looking like that. It never it never feels to me that, that, that it's this intellectual jousting it's always um it's different i don't want to characterize because mm. it's all anecdotal but it, it it never looks like that um and there's this you know there's just there's just something about again on average anecdotally um that you see just men who like apologetics just always looks different so how like, i always think like what what can i learn from women like what can people listening learn from women about evangelism because as I said, before we you know we started i was thinking just women are often better evangelists in my experience in many <laughs> ways i think there's men you know there's men who are great evangelists the pub, you know the public and uh, there aren't not that trying to tie myself in knots here not that there are women who are not great public evangelists but um but but the women that the people are not necessarily in the public eye women seem to just thrive in that environment, you know, um, and I'd love to know what I can learn from, you know, yourself and, and women in general, maybe about doing evangelism in a more mm. uh, fruitful and, and way, really. Yeah, thank you, Dan. So I set up Passion for Evangelism a couple of years ago, and really it came out of time uh, working with UCCF and just looking around the university missions and seeing that not many women at that point were involved in speaking and communicating publicly. And I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to bring some change. So um, we set up a conference called Passion for Evangelism and women brought a really simple, short 10 minute passion talk. So based on a passion and how that relates to your faith. So for me, I talked about river swimming and how that related to my faith. And we, we intentionally chose topics like that to make it just that bit nicer getting into doing talks. And 55 women came and then we set up the Facebook group and it's grown from there. There's about 600 women now in the group. We had a conference this year, March the 20th, just as the travel ban came in, we went from an in-person conference to an online conference in three days. And it was phenomenal because women from around the world joined us, whereas we just had UK women when it was in person. Um, 
So there's there's a lot to learn from men and there's a lot to learn from women. And I think one thing we're really committed in PFE is working together for the gospel. Um, and actually what we want to do is um, show a better story than the one that has been told. So Passion for Evangelism is not about saying that we don't need men. It's not saying that women are better than men. What we want to do is show what restored sibling relationship looks like. And we want to do that in mission so that when I do a talk, I speak well of men and I respect them. And maybe on a platform, I'll speak together with a man or in a Q&A, we'll do Q&A together. But I think um, our culture has this inadequate and over-sexualized word around men and women. And we need to stand against that by not allowing it to drive us apart. So within Passion for Evangelism, that's what we're trying to do. Yes, it's, it's like a greenhouse trying to raise up women. But the end goal is to go out and serve with men. And as we serve together, men and women together, we want to point to the kind of God that we know and worship who can actually help men and women relate to each other. Um, so I think I've got a lot to learn from you two and from others. I, I mean, I feel desperately passionate that there are some fantastic women out there who are too underconfident and think it's too presumptuous to offer themselves for anything. So I did this survey amongst student workers and I've been reading some really helpful books that triggered my mind quite a lot. And I was looking at the kind of question, um, how likely are you to offer yourself for um, a role or a job that you'd really like to do? And the contrast between men and women was huge. So when men apply for a job, um, no, when women apply for a job, they look at the kind of essentials and desirables and only if they can do 100% of them, they apply for the job. When men apply for a job, guess how many of the essentials they they need to be able to do before they apply for it? Come on, boys. Uh, probably 50%. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, three. Wow. If they can do the top three, they'll apply for the job. And I think what that shows, so that's from The Confidence Code, a phenomenal book about confidence in women. Um, mm. It just shows that women are not so good at offering themselves for stuff. And so, you know, a man will look in a mirror and see a senator or a president. A woman will look in the mirror and just think it's too presumptuous to think I could be anything. And so we've got a really big problem because, yes, women are fantastic evangelists. They're fantastic storytellers. Some of them can be fantastic apologists like Emil Ewing, which is in the comments. Thank you very much, mm -hmm. programmer. Um, but I just think they're not being encouraged and supported in a way that they need to be in order to get going. So within Passion for Evangelism, we've got a mentoring scheme called The Greenhouse. And I love gardening, so it was an apt name. Um, we ran it last term for the first ever time. We had eight women join us. And each of the women did an evangelistic blog, an evangelistic Instagram video, and an evangelistic talk. And they got feedback on all of those, and we published all of them. And then we thought, because we're in a pandemic, let's just chill out a bit. So we're just doing a greenhouse blog this term, and it launched on Monday. And we've got 52 women that oh, are awesome. in our mentoring scheme. And for eight weeks, they're going to be mentored. They're going to write an evangelistic blog. Philippa Wilson, who's awesome, you should all follow her. Get her on here, actually. She's amazing. Um, she's the writer yeah, and evangelist. She's doing our training. And I just think what we've done is we've just put the ask out there, who wants to be in this? They're all writing to me saying, no, I don't think I'm good enough. And I'm like, look, are you a woman? <laughs> Do you love evangelism? <laughs> You're in, it's fine. Yeah. Um, 
I just think there's a whole lot of work to be done on underconfident men and definitely women. Um, yeah. That's cool. That's that's huge, amazing. Huge. That's yeah. that's really important work you're you're doing. I'm, I'm amazed. That's that's great. And we'll have to make sure. You know, we've got a lot of women in the in the group. I mean, I think over thirty percent of the of the members are of the group are women. So that's that's a lot. Yeah, but remember, like population of women, and remember the percentage of women in the church. Right? Did you not mm -hmm. see yeah. um, mm -hmm. Rebecca McGoffin's post the other day? No. I didn't see that oh, one. Yeah. No. I would look at this really good post about the percentage of women in the church, like 70%, and the I mean, role that, that, of women in. So, that's like, always if, been the yeah. case. But, yeah. like, 30 is good, but why is it not 70? So, that's interesting. Well, and I, I think, think it's a, probably the nature of the group. A reason it is. Would be, is because it was the nature of the group. It's a great group. No, 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 no. It's what, what, what you're, you're right. Um, and I, I think the reason for that is because it was originally apologetics. That just by nature of its argumentative nature draws men rather than women because just on average, you know, men and women, we're allowed to say men and women are different. We have different, you know, <laughs> personality traits. And, you know, you look at the big five, you know, there's different distributions and things like that. We are different, but there's, there's, we're, we're more in common than we're different. But on, on average, men tend to be the ones that are drawn towards apologetics. And I think. That's why it was originally so skewed, and I think it's been that that's been um, that's been changing. I think there are a lot more. I think most people who, who apply to join us since we added evangelism into it. I'm not sure if that is the reason why, but that seems to be, we end up with more women. So yeah, I mean, thirty percent. You're right. It, it really, it should be like seventy thirty for women. You know, in terms of you know, or, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, the reason I brought that up, you're right to, to, to notice that. But the, the, why I brought that up is that actually there's a lot of women in that group who would benefit from what you're doing. Because I think what tends to happen sometimes in the group is you do get those dominant men who are just maybe unintentionally rude <laughs> and blunt. And I think that often a lot of, I think more women read posts but don't engage. You very rarely have... Um, yeah, we had uh, no. Um, who did we have on uh, a couple of weeks ago? Um, Claire Williams. Claire Williams. Again, you know, yeah. she 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 had a thread on there about racism, and it, it got really quite pointed, and, and and she was, you know, attacked in a way. I mean, I probably maybe mm. the person didn't mean to do that, but and and it was, um, I think a lot. Of, you know, a lot of people see that, and it puts them off posting. Um, so I think that the, the kind of training you're offering and what you're doing in the group would be something I'd love to, to promote in there and get, you know, a lot of might not know about your, your group and what, what you're offering. Mm -hmm. So maybe we'll definitely try and put some posts on there. And, and please always feel free to post in there as well about yeah, what you're doing yeah. because um, that, that, would, that would be great. Um, yeah, and I, mean, I do think men and women, I mean, Claire is amazing. She was on one of our panels. Men and women are so different. And within that, we're also different. Um but I think what happens within the passion for evangelism group is just really interesting. So we encourage, we have like group rules, you set them when people come in um, and we encourage people to post up if they're giving an evangelistic talk. And then what women just naturally do is they're like, go for it, Nay, you can do it praying for you. Let us know how it goes. And it's just this like huge encouragement. But I notice when I try and give that encouragement to men, they're like, no, you're being sarcastic. What's happening? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm just genuinely like really excited. And so I think it's back to kind of basic men and women just relating to each other mm. and um, certainly having group rules and a group like that, the way you behave well. Um, 
But I just think there's a brilliant article by Eric Schumacher. We totally love him in PFE. Him and Elise Fitzpatrick wrote Worthy. It's a book you have, like, every Christian leader should read. And he's written a small snippet on Gospel Coalition called 21 Places, Women Emerge Front and Centre in Scripture Storyline. And it's just so encouraging to see the role of women through Scripture. You know, the first eyewitnesses, women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why is it we've got this wrong view of apologetics that it's a man's game? Mm -hmm. And certainly I felt that myself, even though yeah. I've got fantastic friends that are men. You look at how Jesus treats women and the kind of way he uses them and respects them and their key witnesses to him, even in that day. What on earth has gone wrong? Like how many mm -hmm. female public evangelists can you count on one hand? It's yeah, like it's Amy, our good friend yeah. Amy. And yeah, that's it. Becky. And I just feel, yeah, yeah Becky, so, so I'll sad. Yeah. Ta yeah, I mean, Ocker, yeah. Ocker are fantastic. Sharon <laughs> Dirk, well. speaking from Warren Southampton, they're great. But yeah. that's because Amy is intentionally mentoring women and believing yeah. in them. And, mm. like, I think with women, you probably need to invite them to do something and give them mm. feedback and, and train them. And a lot of people have said, oh, no, we, we're not going to ask you because you're busy or you've had children. It's like, give me a chance to say yes or no. Don't don't kind of mm -hmm. protect me. So uh, we, we in Passion for Fantasy, we read a book every term and then we have a book club and we often invite the author to come. And we meet the author. It's just amazing. It's such a privilege. Awesome. And we had Amy Bird join. back on. <laughs> you're not, you're not <laughs> on that. We, um, We're different, Dan. <laughs> yeah, you're different. We had Amy Bird's book um, and we had Amy Bird come and join us just before, you know, everything happened for her recently. And she was just phenomenal, um, what she was encouraging us to do. And we read her book and it was, you know, it was so, so good. And a lot of what we're thinking about is shaped by her, really. Um, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Was there a question? No. But yeah, read, read Amy Bird. There's just a bunch of ideas there that are really good. Just getting a book a month, getting inviting people. And that's kind of what we're finding in this this channel is just inviting people to have a chat and people are responding. And I, I think in this moment of lockdown, people are a bit more willing to have these kind of conversations and try something a bit different. Um, I and mean, there's been so much around there, there was also that thing going around of share your story as a Christian on Facebook and I, I saw a few people trying to give a two minute testimony on Facebook and seeing how people responded. Um, there, there are more opportunities to try that out. Um, I think online than there probably have been. And I think it's trying, it's working out how to be creative to give yourself those opportunities and make sure you've got a couple of very close friends around you that can give you that feedback and be honest with you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, in in both building you up and also going you could probably have dropped this that and the other and maybe added this and that yeah, feedback yeah afterwards totally is, so is we're really gonna helpful. in the spring our next greenhouse is going to be on um instagram 60 second videos so for a while we did these 60 second stories of hope on instagram every saturday morning a different woman did it every saturday and Inonge Saluka, who you should get on this. <laughs> cool. Oh, I've just uh, started following her, actually. Yeah. Uh, she's amazing. Yeah, she amazing. is going to be our like trainer for that one. So again, we'll open it up. Women only, I'm afraid, can come. And you'll get trained mm -hmm. in how to do an Instagram 60-second video by her. And we'll have feedback, and it'll be brilliant. Um, the other day, I went and got coffee. And, you know, it was literally the other day. So it was in lockdown. 
And um, the guy was doing really lovely coffee art. So I was like, do you mind if I just video this for my husband? And then I thought, I'll just put it on Instagram, see what happens. It's like 300 people viewed it really quickly. And it's just crazy. People watch my Instagram video of coffee art. And like, if I was thoughtful and I you know, took a bit of time, I could easily do a little message. People will listen. I mean, the op- like basically there's a huge open door for anyone right now on social media. And I think particularly for women, so many of us are in churches where there's no platform to speak and mm-hmm. we're not encouraged to speak even evangelistically, which, you know, not many people have an issue with women speaking evangelistically, but it doesn't happen for some reason. But social media is this open door to your friends and you can get on and maybe you need a bit of courage and boldness. Come and find us in PFE or find these guys if you're a man. Um, But I think with a bit of encouragement and help, you know, it's amazing what you can do really for your friends. Hmm. Wow. I've got so many ideas about what to do. Dan's just going to disappear and go onto Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm probably going to have a million messages from that vaccine thing in a minute. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but no, you've given me so many ideas. I'd love to, yeah, have to have a chat about what we what we can do in the group because try and steal some not steal um, some of your ideas and stuff. I like the idea of like you know getting uh, people written books and stuff to to come on and maybe do like a Facebook Live. Um, Oh yeah, I think I think they're the sort of things that would would would. Um, you know, help build a sort of community and, um, you know, get regular sort of posters and stuff back. So I completely agree with you about having, you just need like a core of people who are all on any post are always engaging, offering some sort of yeah. wisdom and insight or some, 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 and just being yeah. nice. And sent sometimes. <laughs> yeah. just being, and being nice. being nice. Yeah. And being nice. <laughs> like, well, yes. and also like um, I did a lot of work on online conferences and you're 10 times as likely to switch off in an online conference than you are in person. And so one of the implications for that and for church is you just need to be far more engaging and get people active and involved in the conversation. So, you know, two minute videos or 60 second videos every five minutes asking a question when you're leading your service to get people to feedback, whether that's on Facebook or Zoom. Um, But my point is, if you were to put a poll into your group and say, you know, vote, what do you most want to have as a Facebook Live next week? What is the topic that is not being covered anywhere else? We'll do it for you, whatever it is you choose. You can set up a poll and do that really easily. So then you get engagement, you get people interested, you get them invested. And then you stream it straight into that group and they watch it. Um, So with this like 10 day, I don't know if I mentioned it, 10 day isolation video challenge I'm doing, um, I got them all to suggest which theme we should do tomorrow. So today was clowns. And I said, suggest your themes. And then I set up a poll on Slido and I was like, vote for your favorite. And it was just brilliant. They've decided as a group what theme it is tomorrow. It's going to be funny pets. All 32 families are going to submit 30 second funny pet videos. But we're just trying to build the momentum in that WhatsApp group. And that's the other thing, actually, like you don't have to think about one medium. You want to work out where people are inhabiting naturally, but it may be you go for Instagram with some WhatsApp or, you know, there's different things that you can use to create community. And I think that's what I'm really passionate about is building community online. Mm-hmm. That's the whole mm-hmm. premise of what I did with community in a crisis, mm-hmm. because I just think community is at a premium now. Absolutely. So is that community in crisis? Is that still, is that just Facebook? Was there a website with that? Just to get, uh, to it was just that? Facebook. It was just me okay. having a bit of fun. Um, okay. It's, I so kind of stopped it. it. Yeah. I kind of stopped it in the summer because 
I wasn't quite sure what was happening with church mm. um, going online. So I occasionally blog about it now and there's lots of good resources. <laughs> like, interestingly, like everyone says that online worship doesn't, sung worship doesn't work. And yet when you look through the Bible, in a crisis, God's people sing. It's like a biblical mm. thing. Psalm 121, on their mm. annual pilgrimage, in danger, facing a crisis. What do they do? They sing new songs of grace. Everyone's saying online worship doesn't work, and yet it does. I've seen it work, both with the Come Sing With Me with Ollie Knight. He'd be good to go on here. And with our church on Zoom, doing live worship every Sunday. On my blog, the most read blog, I don't know if the numbers are good. I'm rubbish with this. But hmm. 7,537, I counted this morning, views on Katie Lewis, professional musician's blog on worship on Zoom tips and tricks. So it's the thing everybody wants to do, the thing everyone's saying doesn't work. It's because God's people need to sing in a crisis. Mm. And you look at a book like Habakkuk and the structure is question, answer, question, answer, song. We've got a problem because we're not singing. Singing's banned mm. in churches, even when we're back in person. People are saying it doesn't work online. And yet mm. Habakkuk tells us God's people need question, answer, question, answer, song. And... I just, yeah, so my blog's full of really interesting things. Mostly it's other people I got to write for me and I just occasionally mm. wrote something. Um, but yeah, have a look at my blog on Community of Crisis. There's lots of stuff there because I think church online is here to stay and mm. I think it makes church so much more accessible for non-believers, for mm. people who are housebound or chronically ill, um, yeah. much, much more accessible. So Yeah, oh, and that's definitely something that's come... I'm quite aware of is that's the side of disability and being included and the lockdown actually for those who were excluded because they couldn't get to the church anyway before pandemic suddenly everything's online and uh, I was trying to I can't remember there's someone who set up a whole um, online church basically because they just could not access church yeah. where they were at and uh, I really wish I could remember the name of it. Something like You Belong, I think. But the um, oh, yeah, yeah. they were saying that when lockdown was starting to ease, churches were backing off the online stuff and they were kind of headed back to before where they were excluded again. I know, I and, know. And uh, I think it's so vital that churches do engage with these things and get people on it, get teams around it, because you can't backtrack on it once you've enabled people to be included the the hurt and disconnect that will cause um yeah i mean there's there's so much on this so okay so we set up church on zoom because we really believed in real time collectiveness the gathering mm -hmm. of god's people that's why we went for zoom it was not slick professional youtube it's just kind of slightly scrappy zoom with no zoom bombers um mm, our yeah. pastor who's in his 70s went back to the isle of Wight to care for his parents and they didn't have a laptop and they didn't have internet. He's our pastor. And he came to church every week on his mobile phone, phoning in on a number. So he came in basically blind because he couldn't see anyone. Of course, his yeah. parents hadn't gone to church, weren't Christians, became Christians in lockdown and went to church for the first time ever via his phone on speakerphone. It was just wow. phenomenal. He started doing Bible studies and they came to know Jesus. So there's this reach to people and it's not just disabled people, but you know, it's single parents or or mums with kids and they can only get there at eight. Like 
people at work who have to work on a Sunday. We've got people taking church in their phone to work and we see the post office behind them. Like hmm. it's just so much more accessible. And I think there's something so, so wrong about the church. And I think lockdown has shown us where we there are some huge margin areas, race, disabilities, women, which is yet to happen, I think, mm-hmm. um, poverty, these huge areas where we have just forgotten and we're not we're not this body we thought we were. And I think it's taken isolation to show us what we were and what we're not. And I'm hoping and praying we can go back to it and be different. But the other thing that Kay Morgan Gurr, she's brilliant. She works for Spring Harvest as disabilities advisor and rights for guardian and places. She says that according to Lausanne, um, the disabled community is the most unreached people group in the world. Mm. And yet when you look at the percentage of our population, the the BAME population and the disabled population are not too different in numbers. Um, Mm. So it's the most unreached people group, a huge percentage in the UK. Um, And online church is this fantastic opportunity. One, we could have learned from the disabled community. We could have stopped just in lockdown and said, disabled community, what have you done? You've been online for decades. Teach us. I don't think anyone stopped to ask them. I certainly didn't. Mm. But now, as we consider going forward and thinking about evangelism, like you could have this subtitled and it would be so much better for people that need Mm -hmm. subtitling. You could have someone signing as the fourth box on our thing and it would be so much more accessible to that most unreached people group. So I think Kay Morgan Gurr is someone to listen to on disabilities, evangelism, um, on inclusion and accessibility in the church. And Tanya Marlowe does a fantastic job with that too. Subtitles is really interesting. We, we had a we we're trying live preaching again on Sunday, despite being on uh, YouTube. We usually record so we can subtitle and then go live. But but the the, the subtitles, live subtitling, automatic subtitling. Oh man, it was it's more distracting for everyone. It was a bit of a disaster. I think I yeah. I was I was anchoring and I, I apparently said something about a Russian communion but i'm not sure what that is um so <laughs> it's just ending up distracting people when you're in this remembrance sunday trying to be um serious and you've got these random subtitles coming up but um yeah someone's got to type really fast if they're going to be doing it on a on a live stream i don't know I don't yeah know and i just think really like well it's just loads of people are being left out so like looking mm. at the blessing which i think was an amazing song my church a part of the blessing um but it had a quite good representation of ethnic background, mostly because of my church and their networks, is it's an international mm. church. It wasn't it wasn't signed and it wasn't subtitled. So yeah, it's just out. the disabled community are forgotten. And mm. I'd love to speak out about this. And there are others that you can invite on to speak because yeah. it's just so sad. It's like, are we really that body that it talks about in Corinthians? I, I just don't mm. think we are. Uh, we're not diverse in the church. We're not inclusive for lots of different people. Mm. And we we see oh man there's the, oh, another kind of worms just just thinking on on disability and even evangelism and if you're in a charismatic church how you engage with those who are disabled um, oh man I, I, I'm happy to go into yeah. a little bit of this conversation if need be but um, Dan go no 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 it just reminded me of an article I read about um, was it some, someone with, with with disabilities and 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 how their experiences in the church about you know being viewed as not fully you know oh you're a christian but you're missing out on something because you because you yeah. have a disability 
and yeah certain churches that yeah it's it's, it's interesting i mean i've never it was, i found it a really interesting art because it, it again being someone able-bodied it, it's not something that you know crosses my my mind so it was really interesting to kind of read about their experiences of of of, of, the, of the church as, as someone who wasn't able-bodied and um and how they how they how people engage with them in a way that was made them quite uncomfortable i don't know if you said was it in the Guard, uh, guardian or something i can't remember where it where i, where I, I see that it. one it was a while ago yeah. i'll see if i can find it and but I mean, yeah, there's so, it's, it's yeah, sorry, there's so much that's been designed in a world by man for man. Um, yeah. So Caroline Criado Perez wrote an amazing book called Invisible Woman. And I actually heard, saw it at the theatre just before lockdown. And um, first chapter is on toilets and how toilets across the world <clears throat> have been made by men for men. And, you know, you think, oh, what's she talking about? But actually um, the amount of space that men need to pee is <laughs> far less than women and yet a toilet for men is given 10 meters and a toilet for women is given 10 meters so no wonder there's huge queues because there's just far less space in the women's and the man's and what what difference does that really make well huge, huge amount of difference you know particularly yeah. if you struggle with incontinence or you know you have a, a, a secret disability um yeah. to do with the toilet like there's huge things where you think, oh, it's just a bit of a joke. Does it really matter that men have more space, more more urinals per 10 mm. metres than women do? But when you – I was reading her and thinking a lot about how cities are built. There's some brilliant stuff about Barcelona and how Barcelona has been redesigned by women for men and women. And uh, my friend Joe Rogers said, Nate, I'm looking at projects on churches and how churches were built – by men for men and if mm. you were to rebuild a church from scratch how would you think about it again for those um you know marginal minority groups so for women for disabled people for race like how do you build your church afresh building and structures for those people and i think that's what lockdown's done it's stripped away absolutely everything from us gives us mm. a chance to stand before god and say what do you want of your people of your church the, the building is so much less to us now than it used to be but how can we rebuild your church? And whether that's like a physical building, but certainly structures um, mm. that are not physical, I think need to be thought about as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's huge. And, and being able to um, represent <laughs> representation of people who are um, perfectly capable <laughs> in in all other areas, but potentially can't walk or, or, or things like how do you get them up the front, get them participating, get them engaged. And it was also training your congregation to, to not see them in the light that Dan was talking about, but also there's, and I just continue to hear stories of people that are prayed for <laughs> like the, the project. And it's like, why, why have you offered me that, but not the person that's standing next to me? Like what that kind of, interaction in, in churches you might be well-meaning but actually you've just insulted me because you just see me as a someone who hasn't prayed enough and so there's there's a huge amount of work that the church needs to do it's quite a growing area closer to my heart as my daughter gets older um for various reasons there but the yeah it is it's huge it's something that 
and the church is made for minority minorities like mm-hmm. it was built on yeah uh from minorities if we go back to the early church and the, the significant history seems to be that it was built um and led by um a lot more slaves and and women than possibly we care to to think about uh, or often is taught um so I, it's a huge i don't know where to go with that on a question but it's it, it's definitely something that i'm pondering it, it's much more difficult to navigate because it, it does get quite complicated quite quickly because in in a i think what what we do we have we have certain certain facts uh you know at each end and then we often fill in the gaps in the middle with stuff that isn't necessarily clear especially when it comes to the bible because you know on the one hand yeah, we don't want to treat um, people with at least visible disabilities as as projects to be fixed. You know that actually, you know, you're you might believe the right things, but you're in a sense there's something inadequate about yourself uh, that need, God needs to fix before you're really accepted, before you've got the the whole the, the real thing. That to me uh, is is of is obviously flawed. Um, mm. And then, but then on the other hand, you have to deal with scripture where it talk, you know, where, where Jesus heals visible disabilities, you know, people who are lame, uh, people, you know, you know, people who cannot walk, uh, who, um, who, uh, want to, want to walk, you know, that they, they have, they have some sort of physical disability that, um, that how you want to count God fixes or hit, you know, in a, in a way, mm. um, and you know, concepts of wholeness, physical wholeness, spiritual wholeness, physical wholeness, and uh, and you've got you know people who are blind and cannot see or can't hear who are healed you know physically. Mm. So there there is this there is this it's got to be a tension. tension. So it's like, so it's how do we you know what, what how how do, how do we have both of those uh, you know how how do we deal with that? And I'm not it, it's at least not obvious. And I think because people have not not necessarily thought about it in great depth there's probably a lot of misunderstanding and i'm not even sure i know the answer it's not something i've really yeah. reflected on a great deal but there's definitely a tension there yeah I think go on. there's a really great guy called malcolm duncan and um he says this he says a church that doesn't have disabled people in it is disabling itself mm-hmm. and i just think that's really really fascinating and i think you know the grace of God to reveal a huge blind spot in all of us at this time about what is church? Um, you know, who are we? Are we really the body? I actually wanted to write a book on what lessons from lockdown on the body and how by not having the body together, we've realised how we weren't ever really a body. And I wanted to have a chapter on race, a chapter on poverty, a chapter on disability. It didn't ever go anywhere. But um, I think that's really important. I've I've seen afresh, thanks to Malcolm and Emma Major and others, that we are disabling ourselves by not having disabled people in it. And actually what our church did, I thought was really nice, is it opened again early September with an audience of 12. And they were 12 handpicked people who had really struggled to attend online church. And we didn't then open for the, you know, young and families for another six weeks. We just gave them a chance to get used to it. Mm-hmm. And I just think this whole thing about the body is really key right now that we need to rethink about that. Um, and like, I, you know, I've been in church. I, I struggled with miscarriage and infertility for quite a few years. And 
I had people telling me weekly, nay, you'll get pregnant. God will provide you the baby. And I was just like, I can't handle this. Like the Bible mm. does not promise me a child. In fact, it promises me that um, childbirth is part of the curse. Hmm. Um, and actually, I'm far more in line with the Bible because I've suffered from a miscarriage and infertility than you're going to have a child. I did go on to have a child. But I think there's so many things we say that are not even biblical. Uh, it's just like yeah. those kind of miserable people in Job that are just making that rubbish. Um, yeah. So we all need to get back into God's word to know, is what my friends are saying actually true? Is it biblical or not? But, yeah, we've got to be careful, really careful about people that are suffering or struggling. Um, it's just not, it's not kind or fair to speak about that in a yeah. way. Like there's sometimes just no empathy, um, mm. and that's really sad. Mm. or a misplaced empathy yeah maybe there is a there's an assumption that because there's something that i an able-bodied person would struggle to live like you (laughs) therefore you must want to be like me there's this but there is an element of therefore i'm caring for you by asking do you want prayer or and, and so there, there is an empathy, I think. I don't think it's done to be spiteful, but it's done out of maybe ignorance. It's misplaced. It's this understanding that it may be an overemphasis on the spiritual life that we're m- meant to have into the physical life. And, um, yeah, it's, again, may, another conversation may well be uh, God and, and healing and whether that happens and maybe we can have that with you Nay, or with another guest at some point, just um, mm-hmm. how, how do we handle that? And because it causes a lot of hurt and I know a lot of people uh, leave the church, A, because they've been promised healing and it hasn't mm. happened. Um, they, that they have this understanding of that's what should happen. And then also how people have interacted with them in places in, in the suffering of, of places like uh, infertility and, mm. and, and often it's the ones that aren't, aren't as noticeable as well that are, are we just can be really insensitive to each other yeah. and as part of re- relational living being a community and trying to seek forgiveness but sometimes yeah. that there's forgiveness and then there's like come on we need to change yeah. <laughs> like, people can only forgive us so much it, it's um it's hard because it, it's it, it, it's a it's a problem that's never going to disappear we're always going to have this this problem because mm. um we yeah, there is something about lived experience and experiencing something that completely reorientates your your view and your ability to uh, show compassion, true compassion. Like you say, I think a lot of people it's misplaced compassion. Like they have empathy and compassion, but they don't know how to organise it in a way that that it's received well because but through that lack of experience. Now the problem is we can't we can't have lived experience of everything um, mm. because that's just impossible. Um, and so it's trying to find, yeah, trying, trying to find a way to, to navigate that of, of we're always going to encounter people within the church and outside the church that have experiences that we don't. But how, how do we how do we empathize in a way that's not, um, you know, misplaced and and uh, upsetting, you know, um, you know, like you were saying about, you know, issues with with you know, miscarriage and, 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 um, you know, fertility issue, people say the most horrendous things that if you were uncharitable, 
could be seen as evil in, in, in you know in, in in a way but you know people don't mean it like that but it's just the, the most insensitive thing you think i know you mean well but just don't ever say that to anyone ever again, <laughs> again. Yeah. Um, because it's it, i know you didn't yeah. mean it but that's just a horrible thing to say and um yeah and the people you just i don't know you I, I think you always you always expect better of people in the church and and often they they can be some of the most insensitive people i think in my in my experience and, and that's well, because and that's, we're all with we're, we're, and that's not yeah. that's fine i don't think that i don't have I sh that my expectation is wrong it's not um in a, in a way. i think it's got worse though like i don't know what you two think about mask wearing mm. in sweden and things like that but um, like Twitter has just become this awful place to be. Mm. And Christians who you thought were your friends just just wonder how on earth we could be friends anymore. Um, and I've been reading this really interesting book called The Lonely Century um, by Narina Hertz. It's really fascinating about societal loneliness and okay. how she's wrote it in the pandemic, so it's really new. Um, but just talks a lot about the loneliness that we feel and how we're all just getting more and more polarised and by just listening to ourselves and the echo chambers that we have, it's getting worse and worse. And I've just seen that with Brexit a little bit, but then opinions on what you think about the pandemic, honestly, it's split my friends right down the middle. And that kind of separation and that feeling of I no longer belong anywhere, I don't belong yeah. to you and I don't belong to you, Where I'm just lonely. And yeah. that's such a problem and and it back to the bit on disability what i found really hard is my lovely male friends on twitter being a little bit obsessed about going back to church in person i can't wait to be back in the building i can't and it's just like for my friends who can't go back and a lot of them are female i must admit it is just painful to be hearing that and um the kind of excessive posting about you know, not like anti-lockdown or, or let's be Sweden lovers. I've got nothing against Sweden. Um, <laughs> is then just it's causing up, people though. that are um, isolating to feel like they don't belong, even in the church. Because mm. when it's significant evangelical voices saying it, that's a problem. And mm, mm. so I just think there's something really sad happening about the way yeah. we speak publicly. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be into politics. I'm not saying we shouldn't have opinions, of course. But that when we so deeply offend people that are our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, mm. who actually we know, they're not just randoms on Twitter, they're friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. Like, I don't know what's going on. Mm. Really. Yeah. We, I think one of the issues, what, what what social media has done, it's allowed us to know too much about people. Like, in, in, in a way, because those same conversations, if they were had in person, would yeah. never deteriorate to the, uh, to the level they do when they're online. Because we all know this, you know, if we're having a conversation, you know, we've developed to, you know, if I say something to you, I'm picking up subconscious cues and 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 I, I'm naturally, you know, empathetic sharing. You know, we're naturally empathetic to each other. As soon as you remove that barrier, just our our inner, you know, mm. nasty person comes out. And and mm. and I've had issues where where you know you've known people for years and they suddenly find I didn't know you thought that we can't be friends, but we've known each other for years, like decades, and they you know. Um, and it, it's it's we know a little bit too much about but like we're all 
we yeah it, it can't it, it is scares that just me recently like, dan is that just recently that I, i'd say the that? last the last five years i would say oh, okay because so it's as, been, as, yeah. as, as we become more polarized like there's there's everyone's splintering off into small and smaller groups so even within things that started out as good so even you know even if we're talking about something like social justice okay and i mean that in the the nor new you know the most normal non left-wing woke sense <laughs> just social just social justice we can agree justice that, that is about the, social, the concept <laughs> of social justice you know in itself I'm not going to get into equity and all this but that that in itself within something that should be good people have deteriorated into these smaller and smaller smaller and smaller groups and mm. every group has you know even when you get into disability i mean it very quickly deteriorates into you know arguments about which terms are acceptable you said that right we can never speak again you know, you're a different kind of disability mm. advocate group and it just these are things that we need to be you know focus on what we agree on but just getting torn apart and um uh i don't know i get again as, as i said as a as a, a natural pessimist I, I i just i do i feel like you said that book socially isolated because i think like i don't have any I don't have my own people. I feel like I don't have any people. You know, there's mm -hmm, a few, there's mm -hmm. a few people, and I don't want to have to feel like I have to agree with everyone just to to, to have friends that agree with me. I like people who think differently, and um, it, it's I, on Twitter. I just don't go on there very much. I just post work stuff mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's um, it's just toxic, and it, and I come away thinking just what a horrible world we live in, and everyone's yeah, really mean and horrible, people. and actually. It, Twitter's self-selecting, you know. Yeah. Most nice people just aren't on Twitter. You know, if there's anyone you really, really like who's nice, they're probably, they're not on Twitter. Everyone I think, if I think of like ten people I really love, none of them are on Twitter. There are there are so I, I will stand up for Twitter a little bit marginally. I think we can, yeah, because there, there's there's some interactions we've had. Like London Theus came on. I've met him through Twitter, but generally speaking, I come off uh, Twitter feeling. Yeah, I reckon about one percent. About one percent yeah. of the dialogue on there is is mm. is uh, valuable uh, and, and <laughs> that's probably true. Um, yeah, I, on that note, we are going to have um, Tom Price on the twenty sixth of November uh, talking right. about how to bring a little bit more of this. I think uh, community on things like Twitter and how to not get that echo chamber of. Um, vitriol that often happens especially on youtube and things so we'll have a bit more of that kind of conversation i'm realizing we're, we're close to the sort of two hour mark and i don't know about you but it's uh it's feeling <laughs> like it like it's it's been great there's lots to think about more than five more minutes we have five minutes yeah so i mean we've got we, we, there was, there's been a load of resources you've shared as we've gone through this, um, Nay, and and our our last conversation, last few minutes of conversation are generally around resources anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so we shared just going through your the stuff that you're you're talking about. So does IFES have their own sort of resource bank at all for like in, if anyone's sort of near students or is 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 there, just wondering because Friends International does but i was just wondering if yeah. does any of that. our resources are our people <laughs> so okay. no we don't yeah um no we don't we have got a website yeah. but i don't think i think maybe there might be in a year's time but no our resources are yeah. our people for now that's fair <laughs> enough yeah that's cool so there's our fees that you work for and see some of the, the things that they do um with passion for evangelism is passion for evangelism.com 
Is that right? Or is, is there a no, website well, or is it on Facebook? No. So hang on. There's the Stories of Hope blog, which is an evangelistic blog That's with right. women writers. Um, cool. I think if I sent you the link for that. And then there's a Facebook yeah. page and a closed Facebook group. So you can get to the closed group from the Facebook page. We're also at PFE Women on Instagram and Twitter. So find us on any of those. But um, yeah, if you want to write for us or come and be part of the community, then just come and find us on those places or in those places. Awesome. Um, so I'll, yeah, we'll put those in the description. Go on, Dan. Who, who are some of the people you mentioned that we should get on? Phil's going to take a note of it. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I know loads of brilliant people. So Kay Morgan Gurr on disability, Tanya Marlowe on disability. Um Ellie Cook and Karen Saw just did a brilliant night for us on Jesus. No, Shame, Abuse and Jesus. That was phenomenal. Um, I don't know who else I talked about. Mm, sorry, I can't remember. I'll remember it's in the message. So a, a female. Oh, Inonge, Inonge, still look her. Yes. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Over, overflow chat. Look at that. That's amazing. That's her cool. podcast website blog. Yeah, that'll, that'll yeah, be she, good. she started following us around the time we had Claire Williams on, I think, and then um, oh yeah, Claire's so great. Sort of, yeah. sort of connected with Anonge, so yeah, she's one to we'll, we'll uh, get Claire back on. Yeah, I want to have we like barely people... got through. Yeah, <laughs> barely got <laughs> through our conversation this. with her. <laughs> good. Was, uh, we had a whole whole bunch of things prepared for critical race, and ended up talking about slavery instead. And then so yeah, oh, she a... yeah, she's fascinating. And actually, I really recommend you watch that night that we did on um, justice. Um, my brain's going now. Look on the Passion for Evangelism YouTube. It's all there. We'll, we'll get, get them on there. Yeah. Final thing, like top four, and it can be something you've already mentioned. Top three or four or five books resources for dealing with lockdown and evangelism that you've, you've well kind of lockdown mm. doesn't have I to mean, be as, specific christianity as this, yeah <laughs> okay, I, let me just think about evangelism because no one's really written about lockdown i mean i'm reading something called contending for the faith and it's all about second world war and ife's history and about how students basically saw that the spirit wasn't in chains and the spirit didn't depend on material conditions so that is a good book, but probably evangelism. Um, Sam Chan, Evangelism in a Skeptical Absolutely. World, is phenomenal. Mm. Rebecca Manley Pippett's new book, Stay Salt, is phenomenal. Um, I love John Lennox's Where It's Gone in a COVID World. That's great. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of things I've read recently. That's good. Yeah, we can always add stuff. Yeah. Those. And what was the yeah. socially isolated one you mentioned? That sounded really interesting. Oh, yeah. The Lonely Century by Narina Hertz. That's really interesting. Yeah, I definitely recommend that. Right, let me type that and into my And if you want to, like, really understand how some women feel, read The Confidence Code by Katty Kay. She's a journalist. Um, really, really interesting book on insight into kind of confidence in women across the world. Um, yeah. Amazing. No, it's been so good chatting. Uh, loads, loads to think through, and um, I'm sure we'll do it uh, again at some point soon. Hopefully, um, just yeah, with any of those passion for evangelism blogs. If you spot a decent one, send it through. We can put it on our blog as well. Very happy to share Thank that. That kind of goes if uh, anyone watching this is a blog writer um, and you love Jesus. Well, even if you want to have something that's a bit critical, I'm sure we'll think about it. We are critical witness after all, uh, happy to engage 
in that front as well. So, uh, before I make my final comments, anything else, Dan? No, no, just uh, thank you. That is really interesting, and uh, I feel just I've got lots of ideas and encourage and very you know encourage mm. listening to you and stuff. So, um, oh, yeah, thanks so much for having really me. I mean, it, it means a lot to women, actually, when we get invited to speak. I, I've never really done these kind of things before the last few months. And it just means a lot to women when you get asked to do something. So thanks, men, for standing with us. <laughs> no worries. Um, it, 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 yeah, it means a lot. So, um, yeah. That's good to know. Cool. Uh, it's a it's pleasure. Our pleasure. And- we, we're learning so it's all good yeah so much to think about cool i'll close up and uh for those of you who all oh, that's dan there's me there we go uh for those of you uh watching online thank you so much for being a part of it um and for the questions uh that came in from the programmer hopefully we've engaged with them uh if you would like to follow nay's advice and uh support the show so that we can um get this onto Facebook and YouTube and wherever else it does cost some money. Um, and I'm having to save some for house <laughs> adaptations at the moment. So, um, I can't pay for it. So if you want to, if you want to bless us by supporting this work, then please do patreon.com critical witness. And, um, otherwise we're going to be doing this anyway on YouTube, Facebook. And, um, yeah, it's a pleasure to have people like Nay talk to us and share their journey and all that they've learned with us. So thanks for watching and have a very good rest of your week. And uh, there you go. got some waves from Nay and Dan. (laughs) Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or Follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.